0: For uh, um, having me back, I apologize for the rest of my family not being here. Uh, as Brother Dan mentioned, my, my youngest has been has been sick since uh, Wednesday. Today's the first day he woke up without without a fever, but we didn't feel that it would be wise to. Thank you very much. Um, bring him here in case in case he got somebody sick. We, we wouldn't we wouldn't want that to happen. Uh, so my my wife and, and three boys stayed home. Uh, I pray that maybe next time they might be able to join us. I know David was was uh, rather upset that he didn't get to come to Coweta. Uh, he really, he really, really wanted to come this morning. Um, but nevertheless, uh, will you open the Word of God this morning to the Second Epistle of Peter, the Second uh, Peter chapter two and verse nine, where we'll find our text this morning. The the title of this message, temporal or earthly deliverance. Here the word of the living and the true God reads, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. The Lord does know how to deliver his people. We're given two examples in this text. We, We will look at them. But there are, and we will look at others. And there are, but more that we could have looked at. The Lord does not have to include all of the examples here in this text to get His point across. Hebrews chapter eleven, uh, we were familiar with that chapter as the Hall of Faith, the uh, where where believing God is described there. What the actions that those people did because they believed God, and yet at the end, time would not permit the Apostle Paul as he's being carried along by the Holy Spirit to discuss the rest of, uh, of God's faithful people and what they did by believing that he that God would do all that he said he would do that is an example of God doesn't have to be all-inclusive to get his point across that is what we have in this text as well we'll look at the two examples and many more so first of all Verse 9, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. What does he deliver his people, ek, out of? It is the Greek preposition, ek, here, which is where we get out of. It is, it is temptations. Who is it that's being tempted, and what does temptations mean? In the Greek language, nouns, which is what this is, temptations, it is a noun, gets their, is derived from the verb the verb is used in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. Will you turn there with me? We'll see how the verb is used. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. And it it will give us an understanding of this word temptation. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. So this is talking about a testing, a proving the same it's the same term, just the verb test, prove, examine. This temptation is for the purpose of testing or trying something or someone. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of these trials, out of these testing, out of these periods of testing. Let us examine the examples that were given in the text to see what we can learn. Romans 15.4 tells us, whatsoever was written aforetime, the Old Testament was written for our learning, that we through patience, because it takes time to examine the Old Testament scriptures and see the application that is to be made, that we through patience and comfort or strengthening of the scriptures might have hope or expectation. Hope is not a wish. Hope in the scripture is not a wish. We don't wish That God would do everything that He said He would do. We hope, we expect that He will do everything He says that He will do. Because He is a faithful God. He keeps His word. He is not like unto us, where we may promise to do something and we can't get it accomplished, even if we intend to do it out of the goodness of our own heart. There may be some providential hindrance. There is no providential hindrance for the Lord. He accomplishes all that He intends to accomplish. Whatsoever was written aforetime was written for our learning. LEARN is an acronym that I've put together for the the purpose of uh, being able to follow through with this message and being able to uh, understand all of the examples that we will go through. The acronym LEARN. Let's see who is getting tried and who it is that the Lord delivers out of that trial. The L out of our acronym LEARN stands for LOT. Will you come back to the book of Genesis? Genesis chapter 18, where we, where we begin our examination of, of what happened with Lot. He is, he is an example cited in the text that we'll get to in just a moment. Uh, ba, ba, we'll get to the text in 2 Peter, but here in Genesis 18, we see the uh, what happened just previous to the angels coming to Lot. Verse 32 of Genesis chapter 18. And he, that is Abraham, said, "O, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once, peradventure, or perhaps ten that is ten righteous people shall be found there in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. Here Abraham is interceding not for Sodom and Gomorrah. He's interceding for Lot, just Lot, as he's described in Second Peter. Righteous, he was a righteous man. Abraham knew that. Abraham refers to Lot as his brother, though he was his nephew. He's not talking about uh, a literal brother. He's talking about a spiritual brother, as we are. He understands that Lot is one of the Lord's people. And he says, even at the beginning of this, will the Lord, uh, verse 25, that be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous With the wicked. God doesn't do that. And Abraham knew that. He's making an appeal to God's character. And that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He's interceding. Again, not for Sodom and Gomorrah. For they're they're a wicked people. And he knew that. He's interceding for Lot and his family. And then we, we see what happens with Lot. Come down to chapter 19 and verse 12. And the men, these are the two angels that came to Lot. We're familiar with the context of what what happened with those two angels. The men of Sodom came and they wanted to know them. We know what they're talking about. They they wanted to know these men. And the the two angels, the men, said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides, son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city? Bring them out of this place. Get them out of here. God is setting a difference between the righteous and the wicked, just as Abraham asked him to do. Verse 13, For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxen or grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And we know that they did. Verse 14, And Lot went out, and unto his sons-in-laws, which married his daughters. Now his daughters are still in his house not with his sons-in-law. That means that they were espoused. They had not actually uh, gone through a wedding and, and been given to his sons-in-law. They had been espoused, similar to our engagement, but much more legally binding. It, it could only be ended through a divorce, though they w- had not gone through a wedding. It's different than, than what we're used to. But his daughters are still living in his house, though he, they are described here as married to their sons-in-law, his sons-in-law. And said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. He comes and tells them, God's going to destroy this place. Get out. Get out. But what is this crazy man saying? He seemed as one that mocked. They didn't believe him. They didn't, they didn't believe what he had to say. Though he was giving them exactly what God had said. He promised that 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 would happen. Verse 15, And when the morning arose, notice how long did Lot linger. How long did Lot stay there? How long did Lot not get out of that place? Then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters. Here's a good description of exactly what's happening. The Lord being merciful unto him. he could have The Lord could have just left him there. But the Lord will not slay the righteous with the wicked. He is, he is uh, upholding exactly what he said he would do. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. Outside the city. Verse 24. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. That is, Jehovah rained fire and brimstone from Jehovah in heaven. We, we understand who this is, who, who, how this is accomplished through the multiple witnesses in the Godhead. We know that the Lord appeared unto Abraham in Genesis 18 and told Abraham exactly what he was going to do. He walked as a man. We know that this is the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is the one who walked with Abraham in the fields of memory the lord rained fire from the lord in heaven destroyed that place just as he said he would do but yet he got lot and his family out now his wife turned and looked back she was turned into a pillar of salt she loved the things of this world but they were brought out of the city that they may not be slain with the wicked keep that keep that in mind who was delivered and who was being judged who was being tried it wasn't lot it was the wicked the wicked were the ones being tried. The wicked, the wicked were the ones being judged, not Lot. He was brought out of that place. One thing, one thing to note about this: scientists have found where Sodom and Gomorrah used to be, and it's full of molten what used to be molten sulfur. That's the fire and brimstone that was rained upon them. Molten sulfur. Landed and destroyed all, all the cities of the plain. If you read further in Genesis chapter 19. Destroyed all the cities of the plain. One thing to note for us here in our nation. Not everybody there was guilty. Not everybody there tried to know those men. His sons-in-law weren't, weren't in that group. Yet they were destroyed. They were okay with it. They weren't considered a righteous people. Something to keep in mind. Not everybody was, not every male was in that group. Not every male was in the group that tried to know those men. America ought to to take understanding, ought to take heed of what was done to Sodom and Gomorrah. We come back, we come back just in case there's any question as to whether Lot was a righteous, a just man. Back to to our text. We see in verses 7 and 8, And delivered just or righteous Lot vexed with the filthy conversation or the conduct of the wicked for that righteous man Lot dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds he thought he could change them I'll go there and see if I can change their behavior it doesn't work like that we, we can't change them God has to and when they don't God brings judgment He delivers his people out of that judgment, out of that trial upon the wicked. Come to the book of Exodus. E, in our acronym LEARN, stands for Egypt. Exodus chapter 8 and verse 22. Here the Lord states, And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there to the end that thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Not that the Egyptian gods were lords in the midst of the earth, but that Jehovah God, that our Lord God, is God in the midst of the earth. And I will put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. He is setting a difference between his people and the wicked people of Egypt. He's setting a difference between them. And the Lord did so. And there came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted by by reason of the swarm of flies. They had, they had a swarm of flies, but the people in Goshen, the Israelites, did not have any. There was a line set between them. Amen. Come to John, or excuse me, not John, chapter 9 of this same Same book of Exodus, chapter 9, and verse 3, we we see the same thing. The judgments being upon the wicked over and over and over again, yet a line set between them and the people of Israel. Chapter 9, and verse 3, And behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle, which is in the field, upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, and upon the sheep. There shall be a very grievous moraine, or a severe pestilence, and the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt. And there shall nothing die of all that is the children's of Israel. Nothing of theirs was, to, was going to be touched. The Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing in the land. And the Lord did that thing on the morrow. And all the cattle of Egypt died, but the cattle of the children of Israel died not one. Not a single one. A line set between his people and the wicked. Verse 22 of that same chapter. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth thine hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, upon man and upon beast, and upon every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire rain ran along uh, upon the ground and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt so there was hail and fire mingled with the hail very grievous such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation and the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt all that was in the field both man and beast and hail smote every herb of the field and brake every tree of the field only in the land of Goshen where the children of Israel were there was no hail set a line set a difference between the wicked and his people he protected his people from that judgment. Chapter 10, verse 21. We could go through all the plagues, but we'll just go through some of them. 10 and verse 21. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, and there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. you ever been And I've never felt darkness before, but that's how dark it was. The Lord Jesus says that the wicked shall be cast into outer darkness. And there shall be we, uh, uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. No doubt the, the Egyptians got, got a taste of what, that, of what that is going to be like. Even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven and there was thick darkness in the land of Egypt. Three days they saw not one another. Neither arose any from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. A line, a difference set between God's people. And the wicked. The judgment fell upon the wicked and not upon God's people. Eleven in verse verse four. Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. And there shall be a great, city, a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue, against a man or beast. That ye may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel, the Lord puts a difference between his people and the wicked. He sets the line he his judgments do not fall upon his people. Remember in in our text, he knows how to reserve the unjust unto the day uh, the unjust for the day of punishment god's people now we we may describe disciplining or chastening our children as punishment we may describe it in that manner but it is not punishment i i whenever i catch myself using that term to my children god doesn't use that term for his children he uses chastening and 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 chastising and and scourging correction instruction is what he does for his children but the unjust those that are not his children he punishes he's a judge He is not a a heavenly father in the same sense he is to us. Our children ought to be treated in the same way that he treats us. He corrects us. He corrects us and sometimes we don't like it. Our children don't like it when we correct them either. But it isn't punishment. It is correction. He punishes the unjust. He does not discipline them. He does not chasten them. He punishes them. This is what's happening to Egypt. They are being punished. For their wickedness and, and ultimately for the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. These judgments judgments one thing for us to understand are not meant to lead men to repentance. We think that they would be. That men would repent if God would judge. You read the book of the Revelation men are being judged they're having fire; they're being scorched with fire from heaven yet they don't stop their murderers, their sorceries, their blaspheming of the Lord. They don't stop. It hardens them in it. That is what judgment accomplishes. Romans 2.4 says, Know ye not that it is the goodness of God that leadeth men to repentance? It is only God's goodness that leads us to repentance. Whether, whether uh, repentance not to be repented of or temporal repentance that is repented of. An atheist can, can stop doing horrible things and yet doesn't become a Christian. That's, that's the idea behind temporal repentance. Temporal repentance. The people of Egypt, Pharaoh, did not (coughs) repent. He hardened his heart. He went against the commandment of God. He would not let them go. One thing to note, Numbers 33 verse 4 says that these judgments were not just random. God judged their gods. That is what Numbers 33 and verse 4 tells us. That he judged their gods to show that he is Lord in the midst of the earth. Why did, why did God raise up Pharaoh, he said? So that my name might be proclaimed throughout all the earth. Yeah. That was the purpose for, the, for these judgments to show that their gods were false gods and that the God of Israel, the God of Jacob, Jehovah, that he is the true God. He is the only God. That their gods had no power. And the magicians, the sorcerers, they could replicate some of the miracles but whenever it got to creating life they said we can't do this this is the finger of god we can't do that all their black magic all the all all of their sorcery could not do what god could accomplish the judgment fell on the wicked and not upon god's people a line set between them now we come to a which stands for away come to jeremiah 24 we've we've seen that lot Lot was taken out before judgment fell upon the wicked. Jeremiah, er, we saw that E stood for Egypt, the judgments that fell upon Egypt that the people of Israel were not a part of. A line was set between them that the judgments did not fall upon God's people. Jeremiah 24, beginning at verse 1, the A in our acronym LEARN stands for AWAY. The Lord showed me, this is Jeremiah, and, be, and behold, two basket of figs were set before the temple of the Lord. After that, or Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah with the carpenters and smiths from Jerusalem, and had brought them to Babylon. So there's been a deportation to Babylon. He's taken all the carpenters and the smiths and, and uh, Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, princes of Judah. Uh, and, and from Jerusalem to Babylon, one basket had very good figs, even like the figs that were first, that are first ripe. And other basket, and the other basket had very naughty figs, or bad, mold, uh, moldy, rotten, which could not be eaten. They were so bad. Uh, that's that's some bad fruit. That's some bad. That's some bad figs there. Then said the Lord unto me, What seest thou, Jeremiah? And I said, Figs, the good figs, very good, and the evil or the bad very evil, that cannot be eaten, they are so evil. Again the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive. Carried away captive of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans for their good. Now being carried away captive to Babylon sounds like a really bad thing. Imagine how hard that must have been for them, taken away out of the only land that they've ever known, to a land that they don't even speak the language, to a land that they don't know—they don't know what lies in that land. They don't know the customs. They don't know what's going to happen to them. But they're taken away. The Lord said, "I sent them away for their good." Those are the good figs. They are taken away. They are taken away for their good. For I will set mine eyes upon them for good, and I will bring them again to this land, and I will build them and not pull them down, and I will plant them and not pluck them up. One thing, one reason why he set his, his eyes on them for good, Jeremiah had been telling people, Surrender, surrender, you're not going to win. If you surrender, the Lord will not destroy this place. They're the ones who surrendered and went. They followed what the prophet Jeremiah said. Those that did not believed believed the, the the false prophets who said the temple of the Lord is here, the temple of the Lord is here. The Lord's not going to destroy this place, it's, he's got his house here. But if they had followed what Solomon said, God didn't, he dwelt in the temple that Solomon had built, but in a special way, he doesn't need a temple. He dwelt. He, the temple couldn't hold him. Even the heaven of heavens couldn't hold him space one 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 thing to think about that'll that'll bless your soul does space dwell in god or does god dwell in space since the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him space dwells in god god is bigger than all of this than his own creation they believed that god wouldn't destroy it because his temple was there god didn't need that temple and he made very specific promises that if they did not do what he said, he would destroy them. Deuteronomy 28 promises that what happened in Jeremiah would happen. If, if they did not heed his words, and they did not. But those, follow, those that, that went away, they followed the words of Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And I will give them in heart to know me, verse 7, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. And as for the evil figs, which cannot be eaten, they are so evil, or bad, or moldy, and rotten, surely thus saith the Lord. So will I give Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and his princes and the residue of Jerusalem that remain in this land and them that dwell in the land of Egypt. And I will deliver them to be removed into all kingdoms of the earth for their hurt to be a reproach and and a proverb and a taunt and a curse in all places whither I shall drive them. And I will send the sword, the famine, and the pestilence among them till they be consumed from off the land that I gave unto them and to their fathers. Judgment fell upon them but God removed his people. He carried them away captive. It seemed like a bad thing, but it was a good thing. He he took them out before judgment fell. Those that would not listen to the word of God, those that would not listen to what the Lord had to say, are here constituted as the wicked. God set a difference and removed his people just as he did Lot before judgment fell. Just as he did Lot, he removed his people. So we've seen Lot, we've seen Egypt, how the judgments fell upon Egypt and not upon Israel. We've seen how the good figs were carried away for their good, and those that were left were left for their hurt. We come back to the book of Exodus, chapter 14, where we see the R in our acronym, LEARN. stands for the Red Sea. Another line set between God's people. And the wicked. Exodus chapter 14 and verse 11. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? The Israelites are, are trapped between... Uh, they're on a beach. They're on a beachhead. Trapped between the Red Sea and mountains with the Egyptians following them in between the mountains. They have nowhere to go. And so they start blaming Moses. Because they think Moses is the one who's led them to this point. Moses, I, I, I heard a, a good saying uh, that I can't find any issue with on the way here this morning. Moses, just like us, didn't write the mail. He delivered it. That's all Moses did. That's all, that's all we can do. We can't write the mail. But we deliver it. Moses delivered what God said. All Moses did was what God told him to do. Until he, in the wilderness, he smote the rock instead of speaking kindly to it. Different story. Here, all he had done was exactly what God told him to do. Yet the people are blaming him, which in essence, they're blaming God for putting them in a situation that they can't get themselves out of. God puts us in situations that we can't get out of under our own strength and power, that his might might be shown that his power might be proclaimed. That's exactly what's going to happen here. Verse 12, Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Le- Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? They didn't say that. No, they cried unto God for deliverance. They wanted to be released from bondage. But here, in their, in their haste, in their uh, uh, emotional state, they start saying things that they, don't, that they, they know that they didn't say. Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. They didn't believe that back back earlier in Exodus. And Moses said unto the people, here is our response when we get into that state. Fear ye not. Do not fear. Stand still and see the salvation or the deliverance of the Lord. The Lord would do that very thing which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Drop down to verse 19. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. So now they're separated from the army of the Egyptians by a pillar of cloud. The Egyptians didn't want to enter into that cloud. You look at some of the you look at I think it's Psalm 78. I don't have it written down in my notes, but you, it says there that God went before them. Here it is the angel of God. Ponder on that. Meditate meditate on, on who that might be. But here it is the pillar went by, the pillar of cloud went behind them to set, to set a line between them. No man went into that cloud. Set a difference between God's people and the Egyptians verse 22 and the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground and the waters were a wall unto them unto their right hand and onto their left the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea even all Pharaoh's horses his chariots and his horsemen the Egyptians came came out with about two million people this isn't just a small water crossing some theologians believe that they, they crossed a, uh, a marshy body of water that was only about ankle deep. If that's the case, that's a greater miracle than what we have here because a whole army of Egyptians drowned in water that was ankle deep. That wasn't the case. They had a wall of water on either side. This is a large body of water. And they just as they have found molten sulfur where Sodom and Gomorrah used to be. They have found this. This, is called the, this area is called the Gulf of Aqaba. It's off the Red Sea. They have found the beachhead that would be large enough to hold 2 million people. And down in between the mountains, a trail that led to that beachhead where the pillar of cloud would have separated the Egyptians from the Israelites. And a, and a land bridge wide enough uh, the, rest of the, gulf, the rest of that gulf is very deep, very steep, except for the land bridge that connects that beachhead to across, across, the, uh, across that gulf. It's about a 21-mile stretch across the gulf. I don't know exactly how wide it is, but it's plenty wide for people to cross it in a night. 21 miles long, definitely too, too far to go around for the Egyptians. So they went in it. They get into the midst of it. As the Egyptians pursued, they went in after them to the midst of the sea. And they're in the middle. Even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning, in the morning watch... The Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels that they they drave them or drove them heavily or slowly so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea and the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength. When the morning appeared and the, Egyptians, and the Egyptians fled against it, the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. A difference set between God's people and the Egyptians. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea. After them, there remained not so much as one of them. But the judgment didn't fall on the Israelites. They crossed on dry ground. They didn't even get wet. Their clothes weren't even damp. And the Egyptians drowned. Not one of them was left. They would not see them anymore forever. They saw their dead bodies. Verse 30, the Egyptians. They saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore, but they would never see them alive again because the judgment fell upon the wicked and a line was set between God's people and the wicked. Now we, we come to the final example, the second example that's given in our given in our text. Noah. Come to Genesis chapter six. We're, we're familiar with the flood, with the flood, with Noah's flood. We're familiar with why that happened. But let us recap it. Verse five of Genesis chapter six. And God saw that the wickedness of man man was great in the earth, that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This is man in his natural state. In his natural state, this is all that he is. We have not gotten any better. The only reason God hasn't done this again is because of what the rainbow symbolizes. God's faithfulness to his covenant that he made with Noah. In chapter 9, I believe it is. We won't look at it for time's sake, but in chapter in chapter nine, he says, "I make my covenant with you that I will no I will not destroy the earth with water." Why not? Why not just leave it at "I won't destroy the earth"? Because he will. He'll do it with fire the next time, not water. Genesis chapter five, chapter six, and verse five. Every every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This is man. This is the best man can do on his own. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his, at his heart. It would be horrible to see what you had created. God knew exactly what was going to happen. This wasn't a surprise. But it still pained him to see that this is what man was. He knew exactly what was going to happen. That didn't, that didn't change, the, didn't change his, his, uh, his intent, what he was going to accomplish in his creation. For his glory, for, for his pleasure, was everything created, we're told in the book of the Revelation. Drop down to verse 17. And behold, I, even I, the Lord speaking, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life from under, from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. Every land creature, every bird would perish. Every, every man except for Noah and his family and his sons-in-laws, or excuse me, his, his daughter-in-laws, uh, they, everyone else would perish except for those eight people. Every other, the the land creatures, or the uh, sea creatures wouldn't die. They had plenty plenty of water to live in. But everything else would. Everything else would die. But with thee will I establish my covenant. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives, with thee. And every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, shall thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female. Everything that was not on that ark perished. Come down to 7, chapter 7 and verse 21. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beast and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man. All in whose nostrils was the breath of life and all that was in the dry land died. Every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground. This is not a local flood. This is is a a global flood. Both man and cattle and the creeping things and the fowl of the heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth. And Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. The waters prevailed upon the earth an hundred and fifty days. Everything died except for what was on the ark. Who was judged? It wasn't Noah. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Let us come back, come back to our text. Second Peter. Second Peter. 2 in verse 5, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Noah, a preacher of righteousness, he preached righteousness for 120 years before the flood came. He preached, repent, change your ways, or God's going to rain upon this place. Rain had not occurred I have no doubt that they mocked him. They did exactly what Lot's sons-in-laws did to him. They, they, they looked at him as one that mocked. Oh, God's not going to destroy this place. This isn't going to happen. It happened exactly as God said it would. It rained, the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven opened, and the earth was filled with water. Noah and his family were not the ones that were being judged. They were the ones that were brought out. They were kept out of that trial. They were kept out of that period of testing. They were kept out of that judgment, just as God has done in the other examples that we, that we examined. The Lord knows how to deliver his people out of the trials of the wicked. He does. He has done that. He does do that now. And he will continue to do that. It is his M.O., as we're given here in this text, Second Peter 2 and verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, out of trials, out of, the, out of the judgments on the wicked, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. These examples serve as an example for us and are our basis of understanding the next message This message dealt with temporal, earthly deliverance. The next message, we'll look at supernatural deliverance, where the Lord delivers his people in an even greater way, in the same manner that he has done in the past. Let's bow before him in thanksgiving. Our Father and our God, we thank you for all that